Hi, welcome to the Girl Above podcast. This show is dedicated to digging deep into the life of teenage girls, the mother-daughter relationship, and the importance of rooted identity. I'm your host, Krista DeYoung. I'm a teacher, coach, and mentor working hand-in-hand with teenage girls and counselors. Girl Above is a result of my passion to help guide both girls and parents towards wholeness and healing in the difficult years of adolescence. Hey, if you haven't noticed, we have a brand new website, we have a growing YouTube presence, and we are in full swing hosting monthly events for moms in the Denver area. If you are new to Girl Above, visit our website at girlabove.com to learn about the heart behind this ministry. Welcome to today's show. It has been such an honor to bring helpful resources to parents, and we hope that this episode is a blessing to you and your child. We address topics from the perspective of the parent, the teenager, and the mental health professional to address the real issues that are happening right now. We know that parenting teenagers is not easy, and we are dedicated to partnering with you during these vital years. All right. Today is going to be a great episode because we have an amazing counselor with us today, Trisha Ebel. Trisha is a national certified counselor and has an MA in clinical mental health. She sees clients in Littleton and lives in Denver, Colorado. Before being a therapist, she worked as an advocate for an inner city youth organization, as a backpack guide, and as a hotel manager. She utilizes this broad experience to now help teens, their moms, adults, and many women lead fulfilling lives. She's helped countless individuals learn that it is not sustainable to live without acknowledging personal needs and how to be appropriately honest and vulnerable while still maintaining a sense of inner strength, resilience, and courage. So, Trisha, welcome to Girl Above. Thank you. So excited. So how did you first hear about Girl Above? I first heard about Girl Above at Valor for our mental health symposium. I think that's where we originally met. Yes. Um, And love to see other organizations in the community working to help teens and their moms succeed and thrive in life. So you would say that teenagers and their moms are your primary clientele? Yes. So often I'm seeing teens with moms in sessions as well as moms kind of individually without their young ones in the sessions with them. And what do you love about that demographic? Why? Oh, man, I think working and loving, working with and loving teens really came out of my time as a teenager myself. I think having an older woman kind of come into my life when I was a teen and mentor me, kind of provide me with friendship and nurturance really changed the trajectory of my life. Another thing I think I love about teens is their ability to detect authenticity. They have this uncanny... Yes, they have a radar. Yes, they have this radar that says, I I see you and I think you're acting hypocritically. Like, I'm not down with that. Or I see this and it feels real and honest and raw and I can put my mind and thoughts and support behind this. And it's just so refreshing to work with teens because it really helps me to lead a more honest life, honestly. That is so true. They, um, they will call you out if they see that hypocrisy, which is probably something that a lot of our listeners have experienced in their kids. So what would you say is the most prevalent thing you see in your office when working with your clients? Mm. I would say everyone who's walking into my office on some levels asking the question, do I have what it takes to lead a fulfilling life in my relationships? 
they're wanting to understand and know, do I possess internally everything necessary to have satisfying relationships? Because so often I find that people who have walked into my door are finding that it's gone awry on some level. They have this, you know, beautiful idea. I, I think we've all had that experience of kind of walking home to our significant other or kind of walking in the door and thinking a conversation will go a certain way and then finding that it, it implodes or explodes in a way that we never thought possible. And that happens, you know, time and time again, it feels so distressing for folks. And I think people come into the door because they're wanting to understand. I thought it was just a fight about Tupperware or this thing at the DMV. And, and yet I found myself freaking out. And I, I think you know, if you just scratch just below the surface, you find a world of pain. And that is really the focus of a lot of my work with people. And that is such a big topic with teenagers because they don't always know how to express the emotions that they're feeling, how to put it into words, why they're upset. And it's never, what you're talking about is never the real issue. So if you get in a fight about the dishes, it's not about the dishes the real issue is like 18 layers in there. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, so one of the things that I love about doing this podcast is I feel like it acts as a bridge between parents and teenagers. So Trisha and I both work with teenagers and we see this disconnect between teenagers and parents. And so we want to help bridge the gap for you. Sometimes I feel like a spy because I'm with the kids, but then I can go deliver information to the parents. So parenting teenagers is absolutely hard work. Um, What is an encouragement before we get into the nitty gritty of everything? What encouragement would you like to give to the parents of teenagers? Mm. Well, my my heart goes out to parents today, I think, because in, in this current society, culturally, it just feels increasingly complex. And there's so much for parents to field with their kids, honestly, from suicidality to kids feeling danger, like in danger, going to school, literally. And then adding in technology, there's a real addiction element here as well, I think, with technology today. And parents, parents have a lot going on. So I think just, you know, if if you're a parent listening to this podcast, to kind of pat yourself on the back, give yourself a little bit of a grace card, knowing that it's a really challenging time to be a mom and dad. I think too, another piece is There's research that says kind of good enough parenting is all that a child needs to literally thrive later in life. So lessen the bar maybe on some level in terms of expecting perfection, maybe giving yourself, again, a little bit of grace, knowing that if you do a good enough job, your kid is going to be able and willing, desiring to have a a beautiful, cultivated life later on. you don't have to be perfect. Yes, that's such a good reminder to parents. You don't have to be perfect, just like your kid doesn't have to be perfect. So today with Trisha, we want to talk about attachment and the value of stories. So kind of a two-part topic, but they tie together. So talk to us about what attachment is, what it looks like, and why we should care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so attachment is... A word I would say that really just describes a bond between a a child and their caregiver. And I think when considering parenting issues, as parents, you have to first begin to consider how you were parented. And 
there's basically a, a body of research that says how we were parented in young years, infancy to three, basically transcends generations and gets passed on from generation to generation. And this is originally the work of John Bowlby, you know, a few decades ago. And he basically came up with a concept of attachment, of healthy bonding, and found that when a parent was able to appropriately and effectively attune to the needs of their infant and toddler, they found that later in life, this infant or toddler could, as an adult, have successful relationships. That was called a secure attachment. And basically that happened through a child needing comfort in a certain way, starting in infancy through needing f- being to be fed, to have a diaper change, to be given some space for rest, and a parent being able to notice those different cues and the subtleties. And basically how that happens later on in life is if someone was given space for a secure attachment, they know then how to engage in a healthy way in relationships in terms of looking to others for self-soothing, to be self-soothed, being able to express emotions without feeling fear or trepidation. Basically, there's this whole space for someone who has secure attachment to feel confident, competent, and safe in the world. Obviously, all of us know that sometimes that can really go awry, and there's basically a couple other categories of attachment, of relating, that Bowlby came up with originally, and the idea is a a second kind of attachment is an insecure attachment, and that can be a number of different ways. One is an anxious ambivalent attachment style. That is infants was developed through kind of inconsistent caregiving. Maybe sometimes mom or dad was in tune Other times they weren't. Sometimes they missed the mark in terms of thinking kid needed X, giving them Y, and so on. And then moving into adulthood, someone who has anxious, ambivalent attachment style actually feels pretty mixed about their relationships. And so that ends up kind of playing out as a, you know, push-pull dynamic. And so I'm sure everyone listening to this has had that on some level, honestly, within ourselves and, and with others, too, of seeing... I want you, I want to be in relationship with you, and yet I don't. Like, get away from me. This is too scary. This is too overwhelming. Um, That that, that would be what we'd call an ambivalent attachment or anxious. And and another one is called avoidant, and that happens when a child is basically convinced or taught that they don't feel safe in the world. Like, an adult or person outside of me doesn't have what I need. They're not going to give me what I need. And so that results later in later years in basically someone who can feel pretty distant, I guess, where they feel detached or they look to isolate or withdraw in order to get comfort when feeling overwhelmed, Um, you know, which we all have that internally and see that with others, too, of someone who kind of just pieces out when they're feeling like there's too much intimacy or it's overwhelming in a relationship. So... And then there's kind of a fourth that ends up being just a disorganized combination of those insecure attachments. And I think I bring all of that up. That's a lot of information because it's important for parents as they're parenting to question, what was I given? What was my legacy of attachment? Like, was was dad a little bit distant or mom maybe a little bit more coddling? You, you know, there's this generational legacy that does get passed down. And it's important for parents to be curious about how their own pattern of relating was established as they look at how they relate to their young ones. So 
in review, those four types of attachment, if you can just bullet point them for us, are? Secure attachment is the ideal. Then we move into anxious, ambivalent, avoidant, and then disorganized. So if you are a parent listening, I guess I would challenge you to look back in your past and try to figure out which one of those you might have experienced. Because as Trisha is saying, that will affect probably how you present as a parent. Right. And it's so, I think, important to know as well as you're kind of being curious, like, what was my way of relating to my parents? Was it positive, healthy, healing? Um, Were there times where it wasn't? Our attachment styles, they say, is kind of in setting concrete. It's not in stone. There's space to change. Like I said, in my teenage years, I felt, you know, this powerful influence of a mentor who came into my life. I think that changed a lot of my attachment styles and ways of relating. And I think that can happen in our adult years as well, where we can literally heal from those parts of us that were possibly malnourished in young years. Which is such an encouragement because what that means is let's say you had an unhealthy attachment style as a child, it doesn't have to control and dictate how you parent um, if you're aware of it. Exactly. So being aware is the first step. Okay, so now we've talked about attachment. We've determined these four different kinds of attachment. And hopefully as a listener, you've decided which type you might have experienced Trisha, connect for us why we would be talking about attachment as it relates to knowing your story as a parent. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's huge. Oh my goodness, huge. I think what can happen in therapy is moms at times will come in and say, here's my child, here's my daughter, maybe fix them. I'm going to sit in the waiting room. I don't want to dip my toe into the depths of this work because it can feel pretty daunting. But really what I'm asking here is for for moms, for you to be able to begin to wade into the depths of your own experience and how that ends up looking, I think, is through a concept I really think of as kind of young heart work, which is basically just accessing and acknowledging vulnerable places in each of our stories that had a little bit of malnourishment in young years. And I think we imagine as we're adults that we're kind of competent and confident directors of our lives. But what ends up happening is without fail, I find that young places, these vulnerable places within us end up being the rudder of these ships that steer us into family and relationship dynamics that oftentimes mirror unhealth or unworked through experiences in our young childhood that was not healed, that was not given the space to be transformed in a positive way. And so when someone can kind of engage their young heart, when a mom can engage her young heart, it's not necessarily just saying, oh yeah, young years were hard for me. It's really looking at how the the teenager, the, the child is alive and well in each of us. I, I think for me personally, I found myself in early years of marriage, wondering at times and fighting with my spouse, how old do I feel right now? And and finding at times that I felt young, I felt like a 15 year old in certain arguments. And I'm not saying I felt immature, that might have been a piece of it. But I literally felt like my life was on the line. And I had to fight in a way that a teenager fights, because I was so triggered to a place in my young adulthood that was um, just a little bit vulnerable. 
And it got to the point where in those moments of being really triggered and overwhelmed, I literally created a journal called the Young Heart Journal and would journal from the position of this young place. And, you know, I often ask moms to do that with me. You know, half of my work is literally just with adult women. It's not all teens. And that ends up feeling unique because we're looking and reflecting back on the teenage self a lot of times. And for me personally, doing that work was so healing because after a while, when I was resourcing this under-resourced part of myself, this starved part of myself, I saw my fighting change. I saw my ability to advocate for myself with my partner um, go a lot smoother because I was able to say coherently, hey, that hurt my feelings instead of flying off the handle or freaking out or running away, running into another room. I, I think to begin to understand those parts of ourselves that feel, maybe even as you're hearing this, like your heart rate's increasing, you're finding yourself feeling a little bit panicky, maybe there's a, a chest tightness happening. Those are all indications that we have a vulnerable place in us that's begging to be nurtured and can be. You know, I, I found for me personally in that small example that once given nurturance, appropriate nurturance, I was able to move forward and, and not go into these similar patterns I, I had, you know, maybe in my younger years before marriage had happened. Trisha, I love that example so much of you in the beginning of your marriage and writing in your journal. And probably sometimes when you were getting upset, you didn't fully know why. And then you have to go back to that place in you that's like, it's it's so deep and it's scary to go there. Um, There is a quote that I love from Melanie Rogers out of Sage Hill Counseling in Tennessee. And she says, this speaks so much to what we're talking about. She says, teenagers are amazingly adept at stumbling upon and bringing to the surface their parents' own need for healing and restoration. Teenagers are like soldiers stumbling through a minefield with clown shoes on, never missing an opportunity to trigger their parents' own unfinished business. A parent's emotional reactivity, impulse behaviors, and distorted perceptions of their child may all be indicators that point to the parents' unresolved and leftover issues. And I love that. Yes. Because this ties together that attachment piece, you know, where did you come from as a kid? And then ties it into how are you going to parent? So if you have a kid of literally any age, you know that they stumble upon your soul sometimes. (laughs) It's like... It just feels exhausting or they have triggered something in you and you're just so upset but not sure why. Or if they emotionally spiral, you're finding that you're emotionally spiraling and then things are just out of control. So that might be a sign that there's some inner work to do in you. And the thing that I find so encouraging to parents about this, um, because this could be something that seems like, I don't know, you have to take full ownership of your teen's issues, and that is not what we're saying. Trisha will be able to help us build some boundaries around that. But um, what is encouraging is that as a parent, you play a vital role that is so important, and hopefully that's empowering. You don't have to just drop your kid off at a counselor's office, say, fix them, see you later. You can play a massive role in their healing process, and that's something that you have control over. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think as well, I love that quote because it so poignantly describes how our young ones are meant 
to be used in our own glorification and transformation. There's this beautiful experience to see, okay, you trigger me a lot. And yet it's not just to bother me, like it's to help me heal. And I think the important thing in all of this work, you know, I I wasn't able to do any of that journaling work before I was able to give myself kindness and not shame. Because that's the work here is to be able to breathe kindness into these parts of us that have this, the, the cobwebs are here and we try to not let it see the light of day. We don't want any part of this exposed. And so we hide. And that ends up making it more and more, you know, just maladaptive and harmful. And it's dangerous, though, when we only have the shame or self-loathing lens to go into that work. And that's why, you know, therapy is valuable, I think, because you kind of have a hand-holding guide who says, let's go into your story and make sure we're not going in with our own grenades to provide more damage here, but to really actually provide healing. And that does not happen when you shame yourself for being a a bad mother. That is such a good point. Do you find that a lot of what acts as a roadblock to healing is that feeling of probably a mixture of fear or shame in, it's just painful to look back and also feeling like your kids have to see you as perfect. And if you let any of your past out, then will they see you any differently? Absolutely. Yes. I I think the, every single person has this ache and yearning to say, I will parent better than my parents did, you you know, for better and worse. I think Mm -hmm. we all have that. Um, and, and it's not to even insult our parents who did literally the best they could. Um, but I like to think of it as, each generation can kind of stand on the shoulders of the previous one. Like there's this beauty in growing from what you were given and hoping to give your child more, you know, every single person wants that. Um, but the road to get there is treacherous. There's no doubt. It is painful. Wow. Yeah. And then back to what we were saying at the beginning, teenagers have this like radar for, Um, just knowing when things aren't fully authentic or when they seem hypocritical. And you would be amazed at the depth of real conversation that teenagers can handle. So one of the biggest ways to gain respect from your kid is to be as real and as honest with them as possible. What you're really doing is equipping them to have conversations at the depths rather than wondering if they can bring their stuff to you because you're too perfect, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And maybe, maybe perfect isn't always the, you know, perfect word for that. I think it can feel distant. Distant is what I, I sense parents go into when they feel like their kids' behavior is out of control. And they, it's so overwhelming to think, oh my gosh, does this make me a bad parent? To go into the emotional baggage that that triggers is too heavy a lot of times for parents. And so they go into this behavioral management for people, for their kiddos, saying, if you just did it this way or try it that way or here's what I would do if I were in your position, instead of saying, wow, that's overwhelming. I'm overwhelmed just hearing how you're struggling and and really working to empathize with people. Because I think the... Our kids, our teens really just want to know that you see them and hear them and that you're trying to listen and that you you don't know all the answers. That's way more comforting to them than you acting like you do. Yeah. 
Okay, so let's say that I'm a parent with a teenager who is struggling and needing therapy. How can I, as their mom, engage in this whole process that we're talking about? In a, in a number of ways, absolutely. One might be, as, as a parent, as a mother, beginning to do the work yourself and going into therapy before you even bring your kid in or as you bring your kid in to prepare to be involved in the therapy process, either with that therapist or kind of simultaneously seeing someone um, while you're seeing, your kiddo's being seen. I think that parents um, can feel this daunting exhaustion around their teen's issues, and it feels like we don't know what to do. You know, I feel like I hear that a lot in the therapy room, and I think once parents begin to kind of accept the lack of control they really have over their teens, I I find better results. And that ends up only happening when parents are able to kind of engage their own abyss, that own young place, um, before being able to tolerate their kids. And when we were talking a while ago, you mentioned when a parent does their own work, their kids are able to respect them more and trust them more authentically what is talk to me about that because I thought that was so insightful yes I mean this is where kids again they sense authenticity and flock to it and flee from hypocrisy honestly for lack of a better word and we all have hypocrisy in us I think but when a, a mom is willing to say I own this part of me or you know you're right I, I can be a little bit demeaning to myself and others. And I'm really working on that because it's a struggle that I have. You know, I had a mom say that in session this week and it completely disarmed her defensive teen who was like, oh yeah, you're okay, cool. It didn't have any like quips, you know, to say back to her because it was like taking all of the, you know, weapons away from her because mom was able to say non-defensively. Yeah. And I just decided I'm going to go to counseling, actually. You know, that was a session this week and it was so exciting to see it literally transform the session for kiddo to see, oh my gosh, like, okay, maybe I can trust you and maybe I can come to you when my friends are suicidal or they're struggling with sexuality and I literally don't know where to go, you know, and and that, that helps a child see that you're actually a resource who knows the depths of pain because you're not too scared to go there. Right. And you don't always have to have the answers within that too. Your presence and your empathy and just being available to listen is so, so, so powerful. It's not always a need to fix. A lot of times it can just be your emotional presence and inside you might feel tornado-y and chaotic and like, what is my kid saying? But if you can just stay in that moment, um, that is incredibly helpful. I think too, when individuals feel, when kids specifically feel that you have all the right answers and honestly, not just kids, but when we're going through a hard season, you know, think back to a hard moment you've experienced. And when you go and tell someone about it and they say, oh, everything happens for a reason or give you, gives you, you know, someone gives you this platitude or kind of fix it phrase, it does not help. It makes you feel worse because it makes you either feel like you're crazy for struggling or like they don't really know you because how could they say that with all that you've been trying to do to be successful despite this struggle? Um, that's, you know, so true for our young ones. They, they just want you to know 
that it's hard and that you're not feeling this pressure to say, okay, but don't worry. This is, you know, this is all going to work out because that's not life. We, we don't know. We, we don't know what tomorrow holds. And all we can say is I, I have you today. Yes. Right. And there's this cool thing that happens in therapy. Um, you kind of start to develop this language that happens around therapy and your counselor will give you tools and practices. And chances are, if your kid is in counseling, they are adapting to a new language, a new depth of thinking and speaking. And what can be a great opportunity if the parent decides to do therapy alongside their kid is you have that language too. And you can start to ask your kid questions in a different way and perceive them in a different way because you're doing your own work. And that's something that an experience that you guys can share in a very separate but relatable way. Absolutely. Yeah. So Trisha, it is really intimidating to think about, okay, my daughter seems to be falling apart. She's in counseling or she's not in counseling, whatever. And I'm hearing that I have to go do my own work and dig up my own past. And that sounds like I don't have the energy or the emotional (laughs) reserve or the resource because that it is hard if you have kids and you're you're trying to raise a family and run a household and then you have to dig into your past. (laughs) It's a lot. It is a lot, but it is so important. So what do parents actually have to gain by doing this work? Why would, why is it worth it? (laughs) I know in in talking about this, it's hopefully not making everyone run for the hills because it's so heavy in some ways. But the reality is what we have to gain is life fully lived. Oh my goodness. It's so alluring to have a captivating and fulfilling life. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And I think that's what, that's what is to gain here is this ability to have the fulfilling relationships that we talked about before. There's, there's so much to gain, but a huge piece is the ability to literally lead a fulfilling and captivating life. What more could you want? I think that is why people walk into my office, not just teens, but adults, is that question that I had mentioned earlier. Do I have what it takes to have cult, like life-giving, satisfying uh, ease to relationships? Um, and that's what there is to gain here. Instead of pushing people away that you love or being triggered to the point of collapse, You can build resilience to withstand storms and not just walk with a limp. I think that's what I I end up seeing in my office so often is folks literally with kind of emotional bullet holes in their selves, in their souls, and just limping along like it hasn't happened and wondering if I pretend long enough, this will heal, right? You know, and seeing that it just doesn't. So the cost is good is a is a good one is a hefty one but the gain is huge as you consider being able to feel satisfied when you hit, when your head hit the hits the pillow at night um and to feel like i'm i'm leading and living a content filled life i love that and so as much as girl above is for teenagers we really do want to advocate for parents and help paint this picture of what it looks like to not just drown under the weight of your kids' responsibilities and their to-do list and where they need to be and their emotional ups and downs, but how can you 
how can you remain grounded and rooted and peaceful and happy and fulfilled in the midst of whatever is happening with your family? So thank you for that advice. Um, when you look at your day-to-day in your office and you're working with teenagers and you hear the ins and outs of their family life and their struggles, I'm sure you see some disconnects between teenager and parents. What are some of those what are some of those disconnects? And when you think about like, okay, if I could talk to your mom right now, this is what I would say. What are some of those messages? One that comes to mind I alluded to earlier, and that is not feeling compelled to give your child advice. Giving them advice can end up alienating your child from trusting you even further. So a lot of times what I find myself saying to parents is spend time with your kid where you're just able to play, have easygoing conversation, not have to talk about discipline or school, any other logistics, but to just be able to enjoy each other and find yourself sharing about your own story vulnerably. Um, I, I think that ends up inviting your kid in to deeper intimacy with yourself more than a lot of things do. Yeah. So does that mean that I never give them advice? How do I engage in advice giving if it's necessary? (laughs) It's funny being a therapist and really saying don't give advice because so many people feel like that's what therapy is. But in general, unless asked, I, I just would ward against it, honestly, because there's so much disciplining that ends up happening in parenting where you're kind of giving advice through the lens of you can't do this. You have to be home at this time. There's so much structure to the parenting dynamic that I don't know that advice ends up feeling helpful because when it's done super well, it ends up being done too well, where I find myself seeing kids who are in their 20s who are still having to call mom for help around relationships, problems at work and school. Um, So you're wanting more than anything to cultivate this capacity in them to think for themselves. Yes. So that sounds like a pretty, um, like a pretty tender dance between when to give advice, when not to give advice, how to give advice, which sounds so daunting. But again, it's that emotional presence. And you touched on it a little like equipping your kid to make their own good decisions and to think for themselves and um, to trust you as a parent because of the way that you guys authentically connect. So a lot of that comes from knowing your story, where you came from, why you made the decisions that you do, and how can you support your teen, but then how are you contributing to their unhealth? So that probably seems daunting. Those are a lot of questions to ask, but really, truly in work with teenagers, we have noticed that we cannot have healthy kids without healthy parents. They're just directly connected. So hopefully that is an encouragement and a piece of advice that says, okay, there's something that I can tangibly do rather than feeling like this scary black hole. Absolutely. I think as well, there's this element of 
kids these days are so hard on their parents. So hard. Whoa. Yeah. Th- that just, it, it, it murders my heart sometimes in, in sessions with young ones to see them obliterate their parents. And the ones who I think do better are parents who have this ego strength internally and can say, you know what? You're right. I do that. And that's so silly of me and not kind of shame spiraling and getting defensive, but it is so hard to cultivate that. But my heart goes out to parents today, I think, because it feels really difficult to, to feel successful in the parenting realm, honestly. Well, and you're also dealing with issues that have never really existed before in history. So in the last 10 years, the entire landscape of parenting is just different. Right. It's been like flipped upside down, shaken up, and now figure out how to navigate it. So a lot of what your parents even did with you doesn't apply right. today. It doesn't. And so hopefully what we can do is give advice that is relevant and what's happening in your kids because your parents didn't have to navigate social media and um, things like the never-ending online stream of pornography. So that's just one example of things to navigate. So we really, really understand that. (laughs) Yes. It's a lot. So Trisha, any final thoughts or advice, things you really hope that parents hear in this podcast? If they've heard nothing else, what do they need to hear? Despite the heaviness, I think of some of the topics today, I really hope everyone listening to this would feel on some level equipped. Please know that you have what it takes to create a fulfilling life. And it's a step-by-step process that we never really arrive on here. But I think that it's worth the pursuit because of what we experience, um, even as it is this kind of never-ending journey. So please know that you have what it takes. It's small adjustments. It's not a a massive overhaul. um, And that good enough parenting will help your kid thrive. I love that. Thank you, Trisha, so much. How can people get in touch with you? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> I think you have my information that we can do. be. Yeah. And I'll put that in the podcast notes. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm a therapist over at Grace Counseling in Littleton. So people can get in contact with me there um, through looking at our website, gracecounseling.net or emailing me at T-E-B-E-L at gracecounseling.net. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. So great to be here. It was awesome to have you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Many listeners have asked how they can help support Girl Above. If you're a podcast listener and enjoy this content, please give us a five-star review. Also, Girl Above is a donor-funded organization and we cannot operate without your support. We would love to invite you to partner with us financially in any amount if you have found that our work is valuable to you and your family. Tax-deductible donations can be made at girlabove.com. If you're a counselor, parent, or teen and want to be featured on the podcast, we would love to hear from you. Please send us an email at hello at girlabove.com. Don't forget to like Girl Above on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in to Girl Above. I'm your host, Krista DeYoung. I'll see you next time.